Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today's episode concludes a special double bill in which, with the help of an outstanding panel, we're discussing the rise of the impact economy. That's the title of a new white paper brought to you by the UBS Sustainability and Impact Institute. It was established back in 2021 and is headed by Mike Ryan, Divisional Vice Chairman for Global Wealth Management and a regular on this programme. The Institute's aim is to create best-in-class sustainability and impact thought leadership. Then, in October last year, UBS announced the launch of its new Sustainability and Impact Forum with the appointment of the first four members. Through regular events, the forum seeks to drive debate on the most critical issues in sustainable finance today. Chaired by Mike, the forum comprises world-renowned thought leaders drawn from academia, commerce and activism. They all share an unwavering commitment to advancing the field of sustainability. The founding members are Peter Baker, President and CEO at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, Dr Catherine Hayhoe, Chief Scientist for the Nature Conservancy and Distinguished Professor at Texas Tech, and Sapatha Descripta, Professor Emeritus of Economics at the University of Cambridge and a Fellow of St John's College, from whom we heard on last week's programme. Today we're chatting to the other founding member, Fiona Reynolds, CEO of Conexus Financial, Australia's largest independent financial industry media company and former CEO of the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment. As well as Fiona, we'll also hear from one of our other regulars, Paul Donovan, Chief Economist in UBS Global Wealth Management, who was one of the key contributors to that freshly published UBS white paper. First up, it's a privilege to welcome Fiona Reynolds to the show. Fiona joins us now on the line from Sydney. Fiona's a member of the UBS Impact and Sustainability Forum, chair of the UN Global Compact in Australia, sits on a number of investor boards, and she mainly focuses on sustainability issues. Fiona, a warm welcome to you. Look, there's a shift from output to impact economics, but it requires a still faster and further shift. Should we begin, I guess, by discussing some definitions? Is it instructive to agree what we actually mean when we talk about the impact economy? I think it is important to define what we mean because there is so much jargon and there's so many different ways that people describe things, particularly within the investment and the private sector. So I think in its simplest form, an impact economy is one that balances people, profit and planet, and it understands the interconnection between them. An impact economy represents really a more comprehensive approach for allocating the scarce resources that we have to effectively really meet society's current and future needs. It recognises that from the, an investment perspective, which is where I come from, that we must invest in a way that respects planetary boundaries, respects the fact that we have finite um, resources and that we need to leverage capital to provide more profitable and sustainable outcomes for all of the people who live on our planet and not just the people but for the whole planetary system. I think it's a very different way of thinking from traditional economic thinking that really that was using the measure of GDP at its heart and it's really thought and equated this to people's living standards, what they own and how much is produced but it hasn't really given any regard to how efficiently things are made, how things are distributed 
or the long-term costs that we may incur from how we're going about things to the health of people and, of course, to the health of the planet. And so it's really time for this outdated-based economic thinking to pass. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have a role, that you wouldn't ever look at GDP figures, just that we need to think far more holistically. And this is what an impact economy does. And I think that sort of holistic approach is is really interesting and it's good to underscore it. It's something that Sapartha and Paul have both spoken to us about already, Fiona, for, the, for this programme. I guess that would prompt many people, whatever their position is, whatever kind of stakeholder they are in this process, to maybe ask the follow-up question, which would be, well, what needs to happen then to deliver that impact economy that you've described? Perhaps next you could tell us a little bit about what actually needs to happen to progress that so that it is not just a discourse, but it becomes the more standardised way of of. Uh, thinking about about the space you know is that about metrics is it about different kinds of incentivization tell us something about the mechanics of what needs to happen to deliver an impact economy sure well impact economics represents really a reset and a change of approach so it's taking economics back to its traditional broad focus if we want to think about how it's going to happen how do we deliver it First of all, I would say that we need to have a whole of society mind shift, and that's across all the players in the economy, both the private and the public sector, and of course, within civil society, about how do we value things and how do we measure them? So the rise of the impact economy paper that we're talking about sets out that to upgrade to an impact economy, that three things have to happen. So first of all, we need to recognise the economic value of people and planet and that their value needs to be fully priced by financial markets. The second thing is that we need to embrace impact transparency and that we need to be transparent about what is being measured. And then we need to target incentives and create the right incentives to meet the needs and the wants of society. Of course, these things are not going to happen overnight. And this is a a gradual shift that we're seeing. But it's a shift that I think is now becoming more and more pronounced. If I think about the investment community that I come from, when investors first started considering ESG factors or environmental, social and governance factors as part of their investment process, they thought about the impact of these ESG issues as risks to their portfolio. However, now that mindset is changing. And instead of just thinking about the risk to their individual portfolio, institutional investors are thinking about the impact that their actual portfolio, their investments have on the real world. How, for example, those investments contribute to impacts on people to their human rights, to their working conditions, how their investments contribute to climate change. And importantly, how can they invest in ways that provide profitable solutions that benefit the economy as a whole, benefit people and the planet, but still create returns, but does it in a far more sustainable way? 
And I wonder, we talk about the necessity of a holistic solution and for everyone to play their part. And it is a question of individuals trying to engage with the fact that even though it may seem futile, facing a challenge of such scale and such urgency, even their uh, small contributions can make a difference. But I guess to really move the needle, we need some of these other stakeholders. You mentioned the idea of public, private, third sector, all, all rallying around. Businesses in particular, Fiona, are in a position to move the needle and move it quickly. Can I ask you to explain a bit about what businesses could and should be doing in the short term to really advance the kinds of causes that we're talking about? Yeah, sure. Look, with any of these big shifts, particularly in the economy, they can't be done by governments alone. They have to be done in partnership, governments, investors, business, the private sector, the public sector, really coming together to work on solutions because these issues are too big for any one sector to deal with on their own. And business has a really important part to play in this shift. First of all, I'd say that business, of course, needs to be part of the solutions, not part of the problems. And business needs to be a key advocate for change in this area. It needs to advocate for a change in mindset and a change in direction. Business plays an extremely important role in the economy and governments listen to business. So business has a powerful voice and it needs to use it for good. It needs to use it to advance the way that we all live on this planet and that we, you know, the economy actually works. So the paper sets out four ways, for example, that finance sector firms can aim to influence the upgrading of the global economy to impact economies. And it talks about the fact that businesses need to emphasise the importance of people and planet as they are employers and often they're global employers. They need to use their intellectual firepower to argue for an effective impact economy and to help create the data that we need to direct it. When it comes to advising clients about how the global economy is changing and how that change will impact their investments, they have an important role to play. And as an investor, a business that invests, then they need to be thinking about using different types of capital to develop the impact economy and using the power of ownership to change other companies. And I think this is where the role of blend and finance can play a role in developing the impact economy. Blended finance can really catalyze private investments in the development of projects that can, for example, contribute to the outcomes required to achieve the sustainable development goals. It can take a risk, a lot of risk off the table for traditional investors and really has got a key role to play but it needs to be targeted. When we're thinking about blended finance and impact investing, we need to be very targeted about what we're doing and very specific and make sure that we're able to measure the outcomes that we are, we're actually having, that those investments are having. We need to really focus on results and to be able to demonstrate what impact investments have on the real world and within the real economy. So as I said, it really is the private sector, business, investors, finance, working with governments and other, other actors as well that will make this shift happen in a time frame that we need it to happen in. 
And Fiona, just to that point about the urgency of real significant consequential change in this space, sometimes, and I mentioned that individual, you know, who may feel that trying to do anything is futile, it sometimes seems desperate. Can you offer us some crumbs of comfort? I mean, look, you know, your work with in and around the United Nations, we look at principles for responsible investment over close to a decade incredible change there galvanizing membership a huge amount of assets under management that really must offer some reassurance and some i don't know optimism i guess that there is a there's the possibility to to make the kind of change that we we need to see you were you were kind of early in this space do you feel that not just the discourse but the action is catching up with the kinds you know the the drum that you've been banging for 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 quite some time are we actually are we are we are we getting anywhere can you offer us some uh, an optimistic take on that on that basis well look on the one hand i'd say yes and on another hand i'm going to say no so yes i have worked in this space for a long long time and definitely we are seeing a big shift now. So it's taken a long time of banging the drum from a lot of people and a lot of people trying to prosecute this argument to get where we are today. And I do think that coming back to the point that you were just making about you can feel as an individual that what can I really do when you can feel a bit helpless. But Most people sitting at home who might listen to something like this or listen to other people talking about these kinds of issues are in some form of pension fund or they've got other investments in a bank, for example, and they can do some simple things. They can say to their pension fund, how is my money being managed? How do you engage with companies in the portfolio about how they operate? How do you measure what they're doing, that they're not involved in things like modern slavery and human trafficking? How do you measure your carbon footprint? How are you taking steps to make sure that my investments are safe from climate change? How are you investing in making sure that we do transform the economy to one that's a low carbon economy? So sometimes some simple questions can have a lot of power. Because if enough people are asking these questions, that means companies, banks, investment firms, pension funds will sit up and take more notice. So we all actually have a role to play. So from that point of view, I think more's happening. Investors are doing more. Business is doing more. Governments are getting it. We're seeing that sustainability is finally being embedded in financial policies, in regulation. We're getting more data. We're getting more standards. But then on the other hand, if we look at things like the sustainable development goals, I like to think of the sustainable development goals as the world's business plan. If we could achieve the goals that are set out in the 17 SDGs and the 169 targets that underpin them, we would basically be able to deal with all of the world's greatest problems and we'd allocate capital to where it was actually needed. Now, the Sustainable Development Goals were launched in 2015 and they're an agenda to 2030. And the impact economy, loosely represented by the cost of achieving the sustainable development goals, has actually moved backwards rather than forwards. So according to the most recent report, the annual SDG financing gap 
of US dollars, 2.5 trillion, is estimated to have increased to 3.7 trillion in 2021. And that is also expect to become an even larger gap because we have to factor in impacts from the war in Ukraine and all of the effects from the COVID pandemic. So, you know, when I look at things like that, the financing gap, and at the end of the day, it has to be about moving capital, then I think, well, we're still a long way away from where we have to be. So there's been, there's certainly action, but if we've got any chance of meeting the SDGs and we're going backwards and time's ticking away, it's 2023, we've got seven years to 2030. And if you think about climate change, and we know that there's a lot of action happening, but we also know that keeping the world to 1.5 degrees is looking less likely without a real big scale up, then, you know, from that regard, you think, well, it's happening, but it's just not happening at the scale and the pace that's needed. So we really need to be ramping up progress. Well, Fiona, look, fascinating to, to speak with you and thanks for being so generous with your time. I mean, perhaps just in conclusion, what are some of the takeaways? We've said there are things to inspire. There are some things that should concern and prompt further action. How would you sort of wrap up if we're taking this very broad brush overview of the space? What would you say in conclusion? I'd say to those people who are sceptical about change or are scared of change and think that we've always used GDP as our metric, and that's what we've got to keep doing, that they really need to be looking at the state of the world. And they need to be thinking about the fact that current economic thinking has brought us runaway climate change, growing inequality, and a really uneven world. So we have to say that we can't keep doing things in the same way and expect different outcomes. We need to change the way we think about the economy. And I always think really important, we need to remember that we live in a society and the economy is part of the society. It's not the other way around. The economy needs to ensure that it finances the world that we all want to live in. And I think that's a world that respects people and the planet, while, of course, still being able to make profit. And we can do that. We can invest in a sustainable way and we can live in a much more sustainable way. And I think that we really need policymakers around the world, particularly leaders at the level of the G7 and the G20, having this issue of the impact economy really high on their agenda. And they need to be talking to leaders in business and in the investment world about how to advance it in a much faster timetable with much more urgency. Fiona Reynolds. Well, next up, let's check in with Paul Donovan, Chief Economist in UBS Global Wealth Management. Paul, always great to have you with us on the programme. We heard from Fiona there with her take. Paul, let me ask you, what, what do you mean when you talk about the impact economy? The impact economy is really a natural evolution of, of economics. So at its most basic, what are economists for? Well, economists are here to help allocate limited resources amongst unlimited wants and desires. 
and to find the best way of distributing resources amongst these unlimited wants and desires. And so the thing is that for a lot of the post-war era, we have GDP as a measure and assumed that the unlimited wants and desires are all captured by GDP. And that's what we would call output economics, because you're focusing on the output of the economy. But actually, that's not everything that people you know, want and desire. We have wants and needs around being able to breathe the air, about you know, having uh, safe and sustainable food, about having equal opportunities as members of society in life, in work, and so on. And so the impact economy is really going right back to the basics of economics, how to allocate limited resources amongst unlimited desires. But what, what's different from output economics is that it's really looking at what matters to people, which, yes, does include owning the latest smartphone in many occasions, but it also includes some of these other things which are not properly captured with GDP, but are nevertheless you know, wants and needs that people in society have. And tell us a bit about that shift then, Paul, that's taking place or maybe needs to take place to drive progress in this area. This shift from a sort of output to impact economics, I guess it is gradual. And the report is interesting about the sort of slow pace of change over, I don't know, 50, 75 years or so. What does that shift actually look like? And can you talk to us a little bit about what it maybe needs to look like to drive more meaningful progress in this area? Well, I think, I mean, if you go back to 1950, which is when sort of GDP really started to dominate, understandably, you know, in the aftermath of this, this enormous global conflict, which has destroyed you know, huge amounts of, of infrastructure, possessions, you know, people's lives turned upside down, understandably, the, the initial focus was on output, because that was what was missing. You know, people didn't have enough food, people didn't have shelter and you know, means of transport and so on and so forth. So obviously, initially, you can understand why output was the focus. But as society and, and the whole global economy has become more prosperous, we started to see these other things come up the agenda. So people you know, are interested in the environment. They are interested in equality, diversity and inclusion and, and so on. And they, they feel that these are increasingly important. And that's been a, an ongoing process. I mean, you know, the, the civil rights movement of the 1960s, a lot of the environmental growth that we saw in the 1970s and 1980s. However, we've clung on to the GDP which is purely a measure of output economics. GDP doesn't consider efficiency. It doesn't consider a lot of the potential damage that comes from, from output economics. And I think that's really hindered us moving to the impact economy, this sort of reverence for GDP as a measure. And in 1950, it was just great because this was measuring what people wanted and it was a nice, simple format. So, of course, you know, GDP really succeeded. But then since then, we've had these ongoing problems. Now, how do we transition to the impact economy? I mean, it's not necessarily that easy to do, I'm afraid to say because we, we need to try and find proper ways of measuring the impact economy. And this is one of the, the great difficulties that we've got this sort of opaque sludge of statistics and acronyms and so on and so forth, a lot of which are contradictory. They don't necessarily clearly communicate what needs to be done. And we're not necessarily at this stage properly measuring 
the things that we need to measure for the impact economy. So I think that's one of the first things that we need to try and, and get right, because without that, it's hard to know whether resources are being directed in the right way, whether we're actually achieving the goals that are being set. And so really getting the measurement right, I think, is, is the critical first step to really getting the impact economy going, rather than what we got at the moment, which is this sort of halfway house where we're still sort of overshadowed by the importance of GDP. And we've got these contradictory forces pulling us on a lot of the impact issues. Uh, well, I think that's really interesting. We've spoken before about the challenge of finding those metrics, those measurements that better reflect the changing circumstance. And if we look then at delivering an impact economy, a true impact economy, as well as those metrics, do, do we need to slightly recalibrate what we mean when we talk about value and value generation? Do we need, Paul, to be careful about how transparent we're being, all of the different stakeholders in this, how incentives might work? There's lots of other sort of mechanics that are necessary to change to deliver an impact economy, correct? That's true. Yes, absolutely. We need to fully understand the consequences of our actions and you know, are you generating pollution? Are you creating inequality? Is there unconscious bias? All this sort of stuff needs to be brought in. And the value of getting the right outcome, I think very much needs to be there. And of course, I think what's, what's perhaps different about the impact economy from where we are right now is that the impact economy is about satisfying people's needs. So it's actually, you know, working towards the positive outcome of satisfying people's needs. Whereas what we have at the moment is perhaps a little bit more focused on the costs. Now, that's not to say that, you know, understanding the costs and, and transparency around the costs isn't, isn't important. But ultimately, what the impact economy is about is achieving a more efficient, a more effective economic outcome and allocation of resources, properly meeting people's needs. And so, yes, absolutely transparency and understanding the costs of this, but also understanding what people actually want to achieve a, a better standard of living. And that's going to require a coalition. You know, I think that markets can still play a very large role in the allocation of resources. This is something which markets can help to, to move society towards. But markets need the right information to be able to do that. And they may have to be regulation or taxation or subsidy, you know, government-inspired incentives to move in the right direction as well. But then there's also, of course, other things like corporate brand values. So as customers' understanding of, of benefits change and as customers through better communication and, and better understanding of, of the data, you know, realize the consequence of certain actions, then brands are going to respond to that because customers' demands are also going to change. Well, well, that's interesting. And I did want to ask you briefly about businesses, because it's clear that because of the nature of the challenge we face, increasingly complex, very urgent, if we look at the climate crisis, for example, there will be the need for truly holistic uh, solutions with all the stakeholders that we mentioned. And yet businesses are probably best positioned to move the needle more quickly uh, and more dramatically. I know in the report, it's interesting, Paul, there's a number of reflections about what businesses can do. And actually, some of the things you've mentioned there. Transparency, there are regulatory changes, of course, even sort of self-imposed restrictions and regulations, which might help. But talk to us a little bit about the role that business can and indeed must play. 
Well, business, I think, has a lot of ways of influencing. So, I mean, obviously, businesses employ a lot of people. So they can have a role as educators of their staff. Uh, you know, education doesn't stop when you leave school or university. Education carries on in the workplace. And so whether that is educating about you know, the environmental considerations or whether it is creating an, a diverse and inclusive culture, that's going to be important. And then businesses also have a role as consumers. You know, nearly every business is also a major consumer somewhere. So you look at your supply chain and make sure that the supply chain is consistent with impact economic values. So that's just a, a straightforward market force where businesses are basically saying, look, it's, it's in our interest to have a workforce that is well-educated and understands you know, the implications of the impact economy and where our supply chains are robust and are made up of companies that are also consistent with you know, impact economics. So I think all of that is, is uh, very obvious. Obviously, businesses invest and can invest in a way that promotes impact economics. So their own infrastructure, or they may be you know, in the financial sector, at least investing in other companies. Again, that's an area where we can see businesses really helping to direct capital in a way that ultimately promotes the impact economy and, and the, the benefits that come out of that uh, as well. And I think increasingly businesses may have a role as stakeholders in, in policy, that whilst it would be lovely if all governments were sort of benevolent and, and pursuing you know, the policy objectives set for them by economists, that's not what happens. And we do know that you know, with populism, economic nationalism, prejudice politics, you can end up with policies which actually run counter to the impact economy, uh, particularly in diversity and inclusion, but also, I think, in, in areas around uh, environmental policy. And businesses, I think, can play a role in pointing out to governments the damage that those policies will do, not just in terms of environmental society, but also in terms of the long-term profitability of the corporate sector and, and therefore living standards in the economy at large. Paul Donovan, and before that, Fiona Reynolds, bringing us to the end of this edition and our special double header of the Bulletin with UBS here on Monocle Radio. Remember, you can listen back to the first instalment, Exploring the Rise of the Impact Economy. That episode featured Sapatha Descripta by heading wherever you get your podcasts or jumping over to monocle.com. That's where, by the way, you can join the club and subscribe to Monocle magazine. In the meantime, you can also discover more about UBS's commitment to making a positive impact and you can find out how the bank can help you by going to ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.